You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Amen. Please take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4, beginning in verse 12, is where we'll begin this morning. And last few weeks, we, we met John the Baptist as he was yelling in the wilderness and calling people to repent and to believe in Jesus Christ. And then we saw him baptize Jesus as the Father announced from heaven, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And then last week, we saw Jesus tempted in the wilderness by Satan. And he withstood those three temptations. And then now... He heads to the Sea of Galilee, and all of that was leading up to what we see today. Is Jesus, he begins to assemble his task force. He begins to call his followers, his Padawans, his interns, his co-heirs in training, his, his fishers of people. This is who Jesus begins to call out. And it begins with two words that Jesus says, and these two words change everything. And they're two words that you need to hear today. And, and two words that need, you need to hear so you can be reminded of, I hope, even why you're here. And why you think the way you think and believe what you believe and do what you do and why you don't do what you don't do. It should all be because of these two words that Jesus says with his feet on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Follow me. Two words that change everything. So as we do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of the word of God. And we'll begin in verse 12. And our brother Matthew tells us by the power of the Spirit that when he, Jesus, heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And as he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their net, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria, so they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases, intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics and the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us today, now, to hear the words of your son, follow me, and to actually 
follow him. Some of us are, some of us think we can only follow Jesus part-time or when it's convenient. May we discover what it truly means to follow Jesus of Nazareth. Help us now, Holy Spirit. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure that this will be a, a, an unpopular opinion. I mean, maybe it will be, but I'm sure there are people out there who believe this. I don't know how it's possible, but in 2019, it seems like people can fall into believing all kinds of crazy things nowadays, but I'm not sure how anyone can not like Tom Hanks. He's got to be one of the best actors of our time. If you like war movies, he's got you covered. If you like great stories of Southerners who run a lot, he's got you covered. If you're a kid, he's got a movie for you. From epic scenes like in Castaway or even in Toy Story 3, when the claw comes down before the incinerator. But there's a scene from Captain Phillips that always sticks out to me, especially when we just read about Guys fishing and boats and nets and Jesus calling to them to come and follow me. I couldn't help but think about Captain Phillips after the Somali pirates get on the boat. Do you remember what the Somali pirates said? I'm the captain now. They look right at Tom Hanks, Captain Phillips, and say, I'm the captain now. And I thought about that this week because church, in a way, what we just read is Jesus stepping into the hearts and lives of Peter and Andrew and James and John and him taking back what them pirates had stolen, their lives. I'm your captain now. And to be a Christian is to hear that same thing from Jesus, of him kicking the pirates out, us, and him saying to us, I am your captain now. And here's how, here's how it begins. It begins with understanding that Jesus is how we see. Jesus is how we see. So look at verse 12. When he heard, speaking of Jesus, that John had been arrested, the Baptist, he withdrew into Galilee. So John gets arrested. We're going to hear more about this later in Matthew. He challenges Herod about some questionable sexual ethics that Herod is engaging in. And it costs John prison time and it also costs John his head. And Jesus knows this, and he's withdrawing from what could be a spotlight. There's a vacuum now of prophetic preaching. I'm stepping into it. I'm gonna, people are going to know me now. But Jesus, draws, he withdraws into Galilee, away from Jerusalem, which would be a great place to kick your ministry off. But look at where Jesus wants to begin. Look at how this quote from Isaiah that, that Matthew gives in verse 15 and 16. This was to fulfill, he says, it's a great theme in Matthew. Jesus is constantly fulfilling Old Testament prophecies. And look, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, these distant lands by the Jordan, by the sea. And here's the key phrase, verse 15, Galilee of the Gentiles, people who live in darkness. Galilee is a surprising place for a Jewish Messiah to kick off his campaign. Because Galilee of the Gentiles means this is a hodgepodge place. This is not a pure place where people gather to the elite in Jerusalem. Galilee of the Gentiles, lowbrow, low intellect, they think. Too many non-Jews live there. Too many non-Jews work there. Too many unimpressive commoners are in that area. And Jesus says, great. 
I love the unimpressive. Do you know that about Jesus? See, I think a lot of us are guilty of thinking we need to impress Jesus. We need to show him how great we are. We need to show him how much we've got it all together and that we come into church on Sunday mornings putting our best foot forward, thinking that that's what God really wants from us. But in reality, we have a Savior who goes to the Galilee of the Gentiles, the lowest of the low, and he says, I came for people who do not have it all together. Jesus does not want you coming in here putting on your Sunday's best like the Brady Bunch. He wants you coming in here like the Simpsons. Messed up, owning your difficulties, being honest with who you are. Because Jesus did not come with people who want to impress with their morality or their wisdom or their likability. He came to rub shoulders with people who realize, I am utterly dependent on Jesus. That's who he came to redeem. And that's where his light shines in, look at what he says in verse 16, People who live in darkness have seen a great light. And I love that he says a great light. Not an okay light. Not a moderate light. Not a decent light. But Jesus is a great light. See, we've all used two kinds of flashlights. We've all used the cheap flashlight. The one where you turn it on and you're going, I think it's, I think it's taking light away from this room, actually. Why do we own this? Why I point it at the ground, I see nothing. And then what do we do? We go and put it back in the drawer. Just throw it away, people. You got to Marie Kondo that thing. It doesn't spark joy, put it in the trash. But then we've all used those flashlights that what? You turn them on and what happens? People go, whoa, that's a great light. What Man, what a flashlight. Where'd you get that? On Amazon? Man, is it on Amazon Prime? How many LEDs is that? We get all geeked out about a flashlight because we know, man, that is a great light. And the, and the Apostle Matthew says, Jesus is that great light. That when he shines, there is a woeness to him and, and now you see. And think about what light does for you. I know it's obvious. Light helps me see I'm glad I came to church today. I learned that light helps me see. But see what? Everything. It helps you see what you're looking for in the pantry. It helps you see what not to trip over in the middle of the night. It helps you on the road so you don't crash. Light helps you understand but, but even, it helps you comprehend, but even more than understanding and more than comprehending, light helps you feel safe. Kids are instinctively afraid of the dark, aren't they? You know why? Because they're honest. They should be. We don't know what's out there. You have no idea what's out there in the dark. And that's why adults, we are afraid of the dark too. We have porch lights. We have lights with sensors on them. When I'm out of town for a conference, our light bill goes up a little bit because Natalie leaves on every light in the house while I'm gone. You know why we have street lights? They're adult night lights. Light makes us feel safe. And beloved, Jesus is that great light that helps you see and understand this world, to see what you need, what you're looking for, 
to see what to avoid and, and how to navigate life. And he brings you an eternal safety. So think about your life and do you see the world through Jesus? Or do you live by the low wattage of your own ways, of your own wisdom, of that dollar store flashlight? And I think some of us, we're even living in a perpetual bird box challenge. You need to look to Christ and see the great light that he gives you. Because through his life and through his death and his resurrection, he now changes how we see everything. He changes how you see yourself. He changes how you see one another. He changes how you see your spouse, your friends. He, he shines light on how to view your coworkers, how to view your singleness, how to view your ministry, your mission, your neighborhood, your parenting, your money, your finances, your parenting, all of it. Jesus shines on it. And as Jesus begins to shine in Galilee, notice what he does. He picks up where John the Baptist left off. What was John preaching before he was arrested? Repent, the kingdom has come near. And like a baton being passed, Jesus picks it up in verse 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. He's announcing God's reign through God's son is invading. And I'm going to push back the darkness I'm going to push back the domain of darkness, the kingdom of the evil one, through my presence. You know how Jesus is going to do this? His plan to spread his kingdom? It begins with, I mean, think about how in the world did this message of a crucified man from Nazareth, who is God and flesh, how did it go from the shores? This is the Sea of Galilee right here. How did that message go from the shores of the Sea of Galilee now to Tomball, Texas in 2019? Because Jesus called disciples to himself to spread his message. And he told them, follow me. Look at verse 18. So as he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They're casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus says in 19. Follow me. 20. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. So here are Peter and Andrew minding their own business, working their business, trying to catch some fish. And what happens? Jesus walks up and says, and says follow me. And immediately they drop their gear. They don't even put it on beg, barter, and buy on Facebook. They don't even put it on next door. They don't even put it on Craigslist. They just drop it. And they follow Jesus. He's calling his disciples, his learners, follow me. Walk behind me and learn my ways. He, Jesus is walking into what the rabbis did in the first century. Rabbis, Jewish rabbis, had people that would follow them, that would walk with them, that would basically live with them, shadow them, eat with them, go with them everywhere they went so they could not only learn from them, but so they could imitate their ways and become like them. But Jesus does it with a twist. Normally, rabbis had students lining up, asking, can I learn from you? Can I, can I be your disciple? Can I follow you? But Jesus flips it. Jesus comes to them. You follow me. You follow me. See, Jesus does things the way we don't expect. 
Normal rabbis had people come, come to me. Show me how important I am. Jesus flips and says, I'm coming to you. You follow me. And his powerful voice compels them to drop what they're doing and follow him. And listen, beloved, this is how you became a Christian too. This is how you became a follower of Christ too. He came to you and you heard him by the power of the Spirit through faith say to you, follow me, and you did. You either heard him as you read the Bible on your own or you heard him in a setting like this, in a sermon, or at a, at a camp, in a church, at a conference, or, or maybe you were at a, a Bible study in college, or maybe just sitting in the living room, you felt it in your heart, I must believe and follow Jesus. Has that happened to you? Has there been a moment in your life where you heard by faith the call of Christ to come and to follow him, to leave behind whatever you were engaged in, to drop whatever it is you thought and where your life was headed and what you believed, but then something happened where you began to follow Jesus. Maybe, it could, maybe it's happening to you right now. You're hearing the words of Jesus from Matthew 4, him saying, follow me. So he invites you, follow him. Come to him today, believe And if you have followed him, we've got to really remember his, these two words. I think these two words, follow me, are really a paradigm superstructure for the entire Christian life. To follow means to imitate, to pattern yourself after him. Copy his stride. Copy his ways. Learn from him. And then go wherever he goes to. If he goes to the nations, you go to the nations. You care about the nations. If he, if he cares about the poor and needy in your community, you care about the poor and needy in your community. If he goes to ministry, if he goes to minister to the neglected, you we go and minister to the neglected. But I really want you to focus on the follow me. The, the me. Never lose sight of this. Because there is a great confusion in the Bible Belt for what Christianity and what it means to be a Christian, what it really is all about. At, listen, at the core of Christianity, its essence, you will not find a set of written beliefs. You find flesh. You find blood. You find Jesus. And he leads us and he teaches us and he empowers us by the Spirit to follow his word. From beginning to end in the book and from beginning to end in our lives and then some. But when Jesus says, follow me, he is showing us you do not follow just Torah. You do not follow just Isaiah. You do not follow just Moses. You follow me. We don't follow an idea. We don't follow an itemized morality code. Christianity is not just an alternative morality, which is what a lot of us think. And a lot of people outside of this room think. We think Buddhism has their alternative morality. Islam has their alternative morality. Scientology has whatever it is they're doing. And we've got all kinds of stuff available out in the world. And we act as though Christianity is just an alternative. And we think to us, it's a superior morality. Christianity is not about an alternative morality. It's about someone who is the Savior, Christ the Lord, who had angels singing in the skies at his birth. 
So we listen to Jesus. He gives us beliefs, but at the end of it all, and at the bottom, and at the top, and the signs of it all, we follow him. Never disconnect from him. And it's so obvious that's happened in our part of the world because where do we live? We live in a place called the Bible Belt. Not the Christ Belt. Because the Bible has been so disconnected from Christ that now we think political parties are what make Christians. Certain ideologies are what make Christians. Certain stances are what make Christians. And not Christ is what makes Christians. We follow him. The one who said, follow me. And who is this me so far in Matthew? Four chapters in, who is this one who says me? What have we learned? He is Jesus, whose name means God saves. And he is the Messiah, the Christ, the son of God, the son of Abraham, the son of David. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the ruler. He is the shepherd. He is the Lord. He is the great light. And he's the one who takes our sins on the cross as he is stapled to a Roman cross to pay for all of our sins. And he rises again from the dead so you could be saved. And he looks at us now, 2,000 years later, and says, follow me. So I want to ask you, are you here because you follow Jesus here? Or did you follow your upbringing here? I grew up going to church. Seems like a good thing to do, so I go to church. Or did you follow your parents here? Some of you, that's unavoidable. You had to follow your parents here. But you could also bury underneath that and go, so why do I why do I come still? Why do, my, why do I want to pay attention? Why, why do I not pay attention? Why do I not sing? Why are you here? Some of you, did you just follow your spouse here? They want to come, so hey, I guess I'm going too. Why are you here? If you didn't come here to follow Jesus here, to meet with him, to sing to him, to hear a word about him, to join other people that are following him, and to eat his bread and drink his blood. We are not here for the right reasons. We're here because of Christ. So make your Christianity about Christ. Make your life about Christ. Peter and Andrew, they are in the middle of their business in fishing, and they drop it and make their lives about Jesus because they know he's worth it. And we got to understand how significant it is that they abandon their business in the middle of this. And, and Matthew highlights it with the second account. Look at 21 and 22. Two, another set of brothers. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat. Well, Peter and Andrew weren't in a boat. They just had a net. So some people think James and John were a little better at this fishing thing than Peter was, which wouldn't be that surprising. They're in a boat, preparing Zebedee, preparing it with their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. And look, immediately they left the boat and their father. They, he mentions the father three times. Why? While they're all here working and all these things, they're called, they abandon boat, net, father. Matthew's highlighting something for us. To leave your business behind in the first century it wasn't just jeopardizing your next payday. It was saying goodbye to your future. 
It was saying goodbye to your inheritance to come. It was saying goodbye to the plans your family had laid out for you and what was expected of you if you were going to be in the family. Businesses were handed down, passed on to the next generation. That's how they kept going. That's how the business kept alive, how the legacy kept going, how you had a future, how you had an inheritance. And in the moment that Jesus says, follow me, they said, we're out. I'm dropping the inheritance. I'm dropping the business. And they go and follow Jesus. Now here's, here's why this matters. Do you remember what Matthew's, the author of the gospel, according to Matthew, what his job is? What his was before Jesus called him? He was a tax collector. He was a money guy. He was a numbers guy. He crunched numbers and figures. So with this account of them leaving their business behind, here's what Matthew is doing. He's inviting us into Shark Tank. A business valuation is happening. He knows that Peter and Andrew and James and John, there's their fishing business, there's their inheritance, there's everything that's theirs. And now this man, Jesus, walks up and says, follow me. And these two things are being put in the valuation. Here's what I have in my inheritance. Here's what I have in my future. Here's what I have of everything that could be mine. But then now here's Jesus saying, come and follow me. And Peter and Andrew and James and John finish their valuation, and they see Jesus wins. I'm following Jesus. Now, beloved, this doesn't mean to truly follow Jesus. You've got to quit your job and move to Jerusalem and all that, all that stuff. But here's what Matthew is showing us. Jesus demands all of you. Jesus demands all of you. To follow Jesus means he is the Lord of everything about you. All of it. No, there is no part-time followership with Christ. There is no part-time internship, discipleship, following with Jesus. It's all of it. And I, there's a stage in our lives, if, if you're a parent, that can be cute and also incredibly annoying. It's when your baby begins to walk. It's so cute, but it's also torture. Because what happens? You have an invader in your house now. You get cabinet locks you get these little weird things on doorknobs that even adults struggle with. You begin to child-proof your house because you have an invader. And I think some of us, we, we like the idea of Jesus, but we want to have little locks on parts of our lives and little gates and little Messiah-proof doorknobs to keep Jesus out of certain areas we don't want him touching. That's not how Jesus rolls. You cannot Messiah-proof your life from him. When he comes in, he is now the captain. He is now the Lord of it all. He has full access. And so this means there will come a time in your career where being faithful in your followership of Christ, it will hamper your earning power. Because now you're compelled to give to the work of the gospel. Or because, you're, because you know as you follow Christ, I, I can't lie to this client as my boss wants me to. I can't, I can't fudge these numbers and, and do a, a shady kind of under the table deal that everyone else is doing. 
I even heard this past week of two, two Christians, you know, working, and my wife was one of them, two, two Christians working in a, you know, working with a lot of other non-believers, and somebody suggested in a meeting, come on, let's just take these clients to a windowless gentleman's club, and we can secure the deal. There will come a time in your life, if not daily as you engage in this world, where following Christ will put you on a different path. You don't take the promotion or the relocation because there's not a solid gospel doctrine, gospel church nearby. Or a day will come when you're, just like Zebedee's probably sitting in the boat and going, hello, where are my workers going? I, you guys are the future of my business. Come on. And they, they leave their father your family may not understand why in the world you want to adopt a kid with special needs halfway around the world. It's expensive. There's complications. Why would you want to do that? You already have kids. Or your parents will be totally against you moving to the Middle East where it's dangerous and invite people to follow Jesus. In daily life, the valuation matrix occurs. What is expected of me, what the world puts out there, and then what Jesus calls me to. And Jesus wins. Discipleship is daily. It's not a one-time following. Every day that Jesus lives is every day we follow him. Every day Jesus lives is every day we learn from him, we imitate him, and every day we join him on mission. Jesus doesn't just say, follow me. He then tells them what? I'm going to make you fishers of people. He calls them on a mission. Look at verse 19 again. Do you remember what he said to Peter and Andrew, which we're meant to assume? He says to James and John, 19, follow me, he told them, and what? And I will make you. I'm going to change you. I'm going to turn you into something. I'm going to make you fish for people. He says, I'm giving you a new identity. I'm giving you a new activity too, a new mission. You're going to be a fisher of people, a new venture. You're going to point people to me. And beloved, as Jesus is building his church, he's recruiting his disciples, he's setting into motion how his message and name will spread all around the world. And it begins right here. And don't lose sight of the fact that the, the next, the very next thing he tells Peter after follow me, be my disciple, the very next thing he says is not, I'm going to teach you how to put on a Bible study. Follow me, I'm going to teach you how to serve in a local church. Follow me, I'm going to teach you how to put on a great worship service with a great worship band and how to have some preaching and teaching. No, no, no. The very next thing Jesus says, follow me, and you know what you're going to do? You're going to cast my message like a net all throughout Jerusalem, all throughout Judea, all throughout Samaria, and all throughout the ends of the earth, and call people to be my disciples. To be a disciple of Christ. This is non-negotiable. To be a disciple of Christ means that you, in turn, make disciples of Christ that you call people to follow Christ. Disciples of Christ are netcasters for Christ. This is your new identity. The disciples, Jesus sees them, and he, he uses this imagery for them. 
There they are, casting a net. They don't have poles, they don't have that kind of fishing. They have a net with weights on the end, and they would either get on a boat, if you're successful, like James and John, or if you're struggling, like Peter, on the edge, and then throw it out. And as those weights go down, they catch it, drag it, let's see what fish, see what we got. And Jesus looks at them and says, you're going to do that for me, for my kingdom. You're going to cast my message, my name, my gospel, and you're going to drag it back in and see who responds. And here's why this matters. The reason why you believe is because somebody casted the net. Either through audio, video, written, over a slice of pizza. It doesn't, there's a variety of ways, but someone casted the net. And there are people out in your life in your work, in your gym, in your neighborhood, who they are your fishing territory. And Jesus is saying, cast the net. Just cast it. Just like fishing, you don't know what you're going to pull in. You don't know who's going to respond. You might pull in a sweet rainbow trout or you might pull in some kind of alligator gar. You don't know what's happening. But you fish. Discipleship with Jesus has a missional impulse right from the get-go. You follow me? Now go and tell others about me right away. This is what disciples do. So how is your net casting going? How's your net casting going? When's the last time you casted the net? Have you ever? I mean, this is the number one thing Jesus' disciples do. After following him, he says, now tell people how to follow me. But we're just like following. Yeah, I know. Now tell people, come and follow him too. What would it look like for you to fish for the kingdom this year? I'm not even saying tomorrow because I don't want you to be motivated by guilt. Oh, man, I better cast a net tomorrow. No, no, no. Think about this year. What would it look like for you to truly become a fisher of people for the kingdom of Christ, to spread the gospel this year. Because I know that when we think about, I know I can default to this, and I've been wrong of this so many times, that when I think about what it means to be a disciple of Christ, we usually think it means to have good theology, it means to come to church on Sunday mornings and sing songs and, and read the Bible, it, it means to do Bible studies with other people, and, and it means to not sin. That that's what it means to be a disciple. And that's true. But it, don't forget that it also means that to, we cast a net for Christ, hoping to pull people in by the power of grace and the Spirit to obey and worship and follow Jesus with us. That's what it means to be a disciple too. It does mean not to sin. It does mean to come to church on Sundays and worship with God's people. It does mean to do Bible studies and read the scriptures. And it also means to tell people how they can follow Jesus too how to believe in him, how to trust him. And with your friendships with non-Christians, I get not rushing it. There is wisdom and building towards it at times. I totally understand that. But here's what we've got to realize too. Eventually, you've got to throw the net. Eventually, you just got to step out and throw the net. Fishing is kind of a blind faith exercise. When people say, oh, I'm great at fishing, give me a break. You don't know what that fish is going to do. No, no, I just moved that lure. Whatever. It's all dependent on the fish and what's happening, circumstances, all that stuff. And especially if you think about net fishing, you don't know what you're getting, what's going to happen. 
And the same with spreading and sharing the gospel. You just got to spread it. You just got to say it and see what the Lord does. So eventually you got to throw the net. Uh, But how long will you sit on the shore? How much longer will you paddle around in the boat thinking about casting the net? How long will you fiddle with the net and try to get all the knots out of your theology before you, before you cast it out? Brothers and sisters, just cast the net and watch Jesus do his work. Just tell him about his cross and tell him about his resurrection, that he's alive. And if you, if you believe in him, he'll save you. He did it for me and it's great. And just watch Jesus work. This is what he does throughout the entire Bible taking people who don't seem to know what they're doing and Jesus makes it work out. Just look at Peter and look at me and look at the people sitting next to you. What happens next shows Jesus is casting the net and they're casting the net too. He goes the next passage, look at what happens. Jesus goes all over Galilee, verse 23, teaching, preaching, healing diseases. The kingdom's invading and people are coming to Christ. I think it says in 24, so they brought him. I think the they is his disciples. They are bringing him people who are afflicted, those who are suffering with diseases, those who are intense pains, who are demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. There are people all throughout our lives who are in great need and then we can bring them to Jesus. Who do you need to bring to Jesus? You can't fix them. You can't heal them. You can't save them. You can't make them believe, but you can tell them about Jesus. Often we'll see in the Gospels great crowds. Great crowds are around Jesus. And there's really two things happening in the Gospels we're going to see. We see it highlighted here a little. There's a great crowd of people, and then there's the disciples. There are two kinds of people also in every church service, a crowd and disciples. Crowds follow Jesus, but all it involves is a schedule change. Disciples follow Jesus because it involves a life changed. Where are you? Did you follow Christ just here today and Monday through Saturday really is not much different? Or do you follow him every day of your life because there is a life changed? And now you're going to start calling people, come and follow Christ. Come and follow Christ. Come and follow him. And let's be fishers of people. I love the story when Jesus says to Peter in in another account that's probably harmonized with this one. He says, hey, go ahead and throw your net on the other side. Do you remember what happens? Peter's like, we've already done that. There's nothing there. But all right. He does it. There are going to be people in your life who are like, oh, I've already shared with them. They know what I believe. And Jesus is going to whisper by the Spirit, tell them again. Ah, I already did that. All right, and you do it. And they believe. And so Peter and them, they pull up the net and what? There's so many fish in the net, it's ripping. The net is tearing. And you know what I hope happens in our church? Ray Orland had, had this insight recently, and I think it's wonderful. I think it's a beautiful picture for what could happen in a church like ours on Sunday morning. You know how traffic is awesome on Sunday morning? You know what I hope happens? I hope traffic becomes horrible on Sunday morning. I hope traffic is worse than Monday morning traffic because so many people are going to churches to hear about Jesus because so many people are are driving and gathering to worship him, to hear about him, to love him, and to tell others about him that I hope it takes you 50 minutes to get here. 
And I hope that instead of me going, hey, how long does it take you to get to church? Where now, if you're coming from Cyprus, oh, on Sundays, it's great. It takes like 20 minutes. I hope it takes you an hour next week. I hope it takes you so long that you just pull off and go, forget it. I'm going to Bridgepoint in Cyprus. I, I can't, I'm not going to make it. I hope traffic is so horrible because people are meeting Jesus all across our community because revival's breaking out because you are casting the net and calling people to Christ. So let's be a group of people calling others to follow Jesus as we follow him because he is our captain now, tomorrow, next week, and forever. Let's follow Jesus together now to the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.